You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. We finished Mark, and now that leads me, and I feel the Holy Spirit's leading us to the book of Acts. Um, and so let's, before I talk about that, who's, who really loves getting a letter in the mail? Anybody? Who loved getting letters in high school? Like you were just passing that, you were that kid passing notes. Like I, I watched a friend of mine eat a note because the teacher was going to take it and there was bad things written on that note, so he ate it. It was a good decision on his end. Um, but I love getting letters. I love getting packages in the mail. I love getting notes. And I remember in middle school, I got a lot of notes from girls, but it wasn't because they liked me. Um, I was that kid. In, I went to a small private school. There was like four or five girls who would write notes to me all the time about the guys that they liked. I was constantly in the friend zone. That was me. I was friend zone Jesse about everything. And the funny thing is I should, have, I should have seen the warning signs in fifth grade. In fifth grade, I remember I had my first crush, okay? And my one close friend verbally told me he had a crush on the same girl. He didn't know that I liked this girl, right? And so he's like, how, you know, fifth grade, I don't even know what the conversation looked like. It was fifth grade. But basically it was like, I want to write her a good love letter. Can you write it for me? And so I said, as a good friend, yes, I can do that. So in fifth grade, I write this girl who I had a crush on a note from my friend, and she loved it. Here's the real kicker, though. It was actually lyrics to a song by Aaron Neville, one of my dad's CDs. Um, It's true. Uh, You can look it up. It's called Don't Take Away My Heaven. Um, So I wrote it out from my friend Travis to this girl. He gave it to her, and they they dated for like, you know, two two weeks, you know, fifth grade. But like that's like, it's important. The reason I say this is because it's important for us to know who a letter is written from and who it's addressed to. What is it about? I was, the love notes that were coming to my desk in middle school and in, and in high school had nothing to do with me, but somehow I was always involved, and it was frustrating. This morning, when we look at Acts, it's important for us to know who is it written to and who is it written by. What part do I play in this thing? Do I have any part in this thing? Does that make sense? The book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke also wrote, can you guess it? Luke. <laughs> the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book Luke. It's a, a gospel account of the life of Christ, just like the book Mark. We have four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four accounts of the life of Christ that we can look at through different angles, through different lenses, and see who is Christ. So Luke wrote Luke to record the life of Christ. And then he writes the book of Acts. It's a sequel. It's part two. It's like part two of a movie, but it's equally as good. Okay. So he writes Luke, but who is it to? And we'll see this as we read the first few verses, but just like Luke was written to Theophilus, so is Acts. It says to Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? Now, for a long time, um, there's, there's really two, two interpretations of who Theophilus is. One, he could have been a person. It's very well possible. But Theophilus also translates into lover of God. So when Luke writes the acts of the early church, what the early church, how the early church responds to Christ. So part two in this series, here is Christ. Part two, how does the church respond? He writes it to lovers of God. 
And it's, even if Theophilus was just one man, it was also with the intention that a region would hear about this. It was a history of how the church looked in response to Christ and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Does that make sense? So you and I, when we look through the, at the book of Acts, we have to look at it through the lens of, this was written by Luke, who is a doctor who traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. This is somebody who was there experiencing it. And he writes it to lovers of God. I'm a lover of God, so I'm putting myself in this this morning. Whether my name's Theophilus or not, I'm a lover of God, and I hope you are too. So we have to look at this book and say, what does it mean to me? I'm a part of this letter. I'm not a bystander. I'm a part. I'm a recipient of this letter. So he writes this to lovers of God, and after the resurrection in the early days and the mission of the church, he, he writes this recording the resurrection, the mission of the church, the, the early church. See, the mission of the church is still the same today. Nothing's changed. The church still has the same mission. And we still have the same God as they did then. So you and I really do have to take this book, as we start this new series, as we start going into the book of Acts, every passage that we look at over these next few months or however long it takes us to get through the book of Acts until God leads us somewhere else, you and I have to put ourselves there. This is not a history written for other people. This is a history recorded so that you and I know how to live. How do we respond to the cross? How do we look at the cross as part one of our life and acts as part two? Everybody excited, ready to do this? Let's do it together. Verse one of Acts chapter one says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after he suffered by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, I want you to take note of this, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when, he had come together, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things and they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. That's what we're going to look at this morning, that passage there. And that passage is interesting. If you look at it and you read through it, it starts out with a promise and it ends with a promise. We see in verse, in verse 4 that he says, You heard from me, John will be baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He gives them this promise. And then it ends with this promise from these, these men in white, these angels, saying he will come in the same way you've seen him go. It starts with a promise and it ends with a promise. The life that we are living in currently has started with a promise and ends with a promise. And we'll talk about that in a little bit here. See, verse 4 
And while staying with them, this is what I wanted you to take note of, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for a promise. Now, Jesus has been with them, done ministry for three years. He has sent them out to cast out demons, to heal the sick. Remember that? We went through this in Mark. Then he goes to the cross. He suffers. He is resurrected. He takes our separation on himself. And they've, they've been through him through this whole process. And then they see him glorified. And then he ministers to them for about 40, for 40 days. He's with them. And every, there's a witnesses all over who see him resurrected. They see the resurrected Jesus. And so he had one time, at one, at one point, before he died and was resurrected, he sent them out on a mission. Does that make you guys tracking with me? And now, after he had taught them for that period of time, and then there's 40 days, he says, I order you to stay here and wait. Now, if this was me, if there was ever a time as a disciple that I thought, I'm ready. I'm ready to go out and do what I can do. Because I'm a disciple. I've went through three years of ministry school with Jesus. What better teacher can you get? Three years of school, 40 days after the ascension. I've seen the holes in his hands. I've seen the holes in his feet. He's got the hole in his size. I've seen the resurrected Jesus. I'm ready to go out and do work. That would be my logic. That would be the way that I think. And Jesus instead says, no, you need to sit still. You need to wait because I'm promising you the Holy Spirit. See, I think, I want, I want us to look at three different things this morning. Number one is we as people, we can, we can defer to a few different options when it comes to Christianity. Number one, our number one option or, or our default mode is ambitious flesh. I could in that moment, if I was a disciple, been like, I'm ready. I can do whatever I want. I'm just going to go do all this ministry because I've been trained with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you need to wait because the Holy Spirit's coming. Something better is coming. Then you can go out and be on mission. He gives them a mission. He gives them the great commission to go into the world to declare the gospel. He says, wait, wait, because I got something coming for you that will empower you to go out. We can easily get very ambitious as people, don't we? We're just ready for the next big thing. We're ready to fulfill life's destiny. We're ready. Like, why do I have to go through this period of waiting? Why do I have to sit still for a little bit? We, my wife and I just went back to Gettysburg to our hometown this last weekend. And oh my gosh, Haley almost had to find a separate ride. The whole way there, my six-year-old, Mom, how long till we're there? Dad, how, are we, how, how long? She can't tell time. And she's asking how long. Like, wasn't it a lot, Ash? It was so much. Finally, Ash was like, you ask one more time and I'll never, ever tell you how long it is. Ever. <laughs> We're there when we're there. <laughs> like, our kids are so ambitious. They, they, they just want to know. And then um, Friday, it was Haley's birthday la- last Thursday, and Friday she got to go out with her pappy, Ashley's dad, um, all day. He took, him, uh, he took Haley and Faith uh, to just have a fun birthday day. And so we asked how it was. And he said, oh, my gosh, he did not stop asking why, 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 how. They went to Dairy Queen. Pap, Pappy, why, why does it say DQ? Because it stands for Dairy Queen. Why is it called Dairy Queen? Because it is. 
well, who called it Dairy Queen? I don't know, Haley. Well, why not? And then they go into Dairy Queen, and, and my father-in-law knows the, the owner of Dairy Queen. And so they're talking for a bit, I guess about ice cream or other things, I don't know. <clears throat> but he said, when they left, Haley was like, Pap, who is he? And she, he said, the owner of Dairy Queen. Well, how do you know him? Because I know him. Well, how did he get to own Dairy Queen? I don't know. I, like, as, as people, we just want to, like, know the next thing. We, we do. We have this, like, okay, God, where are you taking me? Because I want to go there now. Why are you going to take me there? What are you going to do? How are we going to get there? We, we want to know everything about everything, don't we? And so I feel like sometimes in Christianity, you can, the, the one, one default mode that we can get is this overly ambitious Christian who's just, like, constantly, like, ready to, like, get going before God's even saying, you're not even prepared yet. You, you don't even have the Holy Spirit speaking to you about this. You're just trying to do it. You're just trying to go. And Jesus gives them this, this promise, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit to empower you to be on mission. They didn't, under, see, they didn't even understand what the mission was yet. How do I know this? Because look what, the, look what he says in verse 7, or verse 6. They came together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that my father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. They came to him still, even though they had seen the crucifixion, they had seen the resurrection, they had seen all these things take place, they were still thinking the old way. When are you going to make all of this, all of Rome, under your authority? When are you going to restore Israel? When are you going to make us feel like we're Israel again? And they still weren't getting the kind of kingdom that he was building for them. Even though he had given them a promise that he would be taken away and that they wouldn't understand the kingdom and that that happened, they seen him die, they seen him resurrected, all of a sudden their old way of thinking was resurrected when he was. They were all scattered and confused when he died, but when he came back, they're like, oh, he's going to do what we were thinking he was going to do. Now it's time for us to go do it. And he tells them, when I leave, sit still because you're going to make a mess of things. What would happen if they would have went out and started declaring the kingdom of God and trying to take over and restore Israel through their own understanding. You and I have to, when we think, God, I feel the stirring in my heart, I want to be on mission, I want to be called by you, let's not do it with our own understanding. Let's make sure that we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit and there's clarity about the mission we're on. They had their own ideas for restoration of the kingdom. See, they could have had all that training, but if the Spirit wasn't there, then it wasn't worth anything. I love that Jesus says that it's better for me to leave so that I can send him. They had Jesus, God himself, with them, and he says, it's better for you if I go so he can come and live in you. We have to be people who understand the Holy Spirit see him at work and listen to him and we're empowered by him because if we're not we're doing things on our own and it's not worth anything so that's one aspect of a christian's life that i think we can do the other aspect is i would call the powerless spirit these are the people that, that they don't realize that that promise of the holy spirit coming but there's the, the second aspect I want you to look at is the powerless spirit. 
We have some people who do everything in their flesh, who are tr- they're overly excited, they're trying to make things happen, they're calling everything the work of God when truthfully some of the things God didn't say they do. I think a classic example would be the Crusades. It's ridiculous. It's somebody who's overly excited and blamed God for what they were doing, and the truth is God had no part of it. The Holy Spirit had nothing to do with it. They needed to really listen. What is the Holy Spirit speaking? The other side, though, number two, is somebody with a powerless spirit. See, you and I don't live in this ten days before the Holy Spirit came. He has come, and we'll see that in a few weeks as we continue to go through the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit has come upon us. He dwells inside of believers. He lives in us. If you've called him Lord, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can bring our hearts to him. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. If you call Christ your Lord and Savior, you do too. And I think sometimes people don't realize the Holy Spirit at work in them, so they don't live in mission, on mission. They don't know how to hear him. They don't know how to recognize him. Or they just think he was something that happened a long time ago in a mystical land called Jerusalem. We need to learn to be people who recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me give you a few th- things to help you with this. And I've talked about it here at church before. Number one, the Holy Spirit... Let me get off my notes for a second. Growing up in Pentecostal churches um, and and charismatic churches, I kind of had this idea that I would know the Holy Spirit whenever all of a sudden my body started shaking like crazy and I just saying things I didn't know what I'm saying and I was kind of like controlled by the Holy Spirit. So I was constantly waiting for this. Anybody else experience that? You You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but I know I'm not the only one. I was constantly waiting for this Holy Spirit to show up and just, like, move me around like I'm a puppet. Like, do this through the Holy Spirit. And so I was constantly waiting. Like, I'm constantly like, well, the Holy Spirit didn't make me go that direction, so I guess it's not Him. And I don't think that that's, I think God does do that occasionally. I was also waiting for God to speak through me through, like, a burning bush. I wanted, like, neon signs, and I was like Gideon, constantly putting out my fleece, like, Lord, if you're here, make me look better today. And I'm kidding, that was never one of them. <laughs> but like all these little fleeces out in front of God. And I, I feel like we can default to that if we've grown up charismatic. The other side is that we can, we can default to this thing where we, because we've never experienced God move in a, in a real supernatural way, we can begin to associate the Holy Spirit as your conscience. And then you have a hard time figuring out, well, is this me or is this just me? Or is this the Holy Spirit? What, what's going on? Let me say, the Holy Spirit is not your conscience. And let me, let me give you a quick, simple proof so that you can figure out if it's me or my conscience, or, or the Holy Spirit, I mean. The Holy, your conscience, the Holy Spirit will tell you things that fight your flesh. Your flesh will never tell you to pray for the sick. Your flesh will, will never tell you to quit your job or quit this way to make money in order to improve your home, or your family, or, or your relationships, or to be on outreach. Your flesh will never tell you to do that. Your, your flesh won't tell you to go to Africa, or to move to Scranton, like my wife and I had to do. Your flesh, sorry, I love Scranton, it's my home. I, I would rather, there's no place I'd rather be now, 
because I'm led by the Spirit. Naturally, my flesh is like, yeah, San Diego sounds nice. <laughs> Just so you know. Your flesh will never tell you to declare the gospel to a coworker or to, or to somebody at the convenience store. Your flesh cries out for promotion, self-preservation, and advancement. Your conscience cries out for those things. How do I advance myself? How do I protect myself? How do I limit my interactions? That, that is a natural way of thinking. The fleshly mind says, how do I defend what's right or what's mine? And the spirit calls us to service. It calls us to self-sacrifice. It calls us to humility. Do I think it's possible for you to, for your, for your flesh to want to promote itself by doing things for the kingdom? Absolutely, but then you're living out of the flesh. Does that make sense? I think that there are plenty of people who want to be the guy who does all kinds of things. That wouldn't be led by the Holy Spirit. That would be what the disciples were trying to do in that moment. Good motives trying to do something out of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit calls us to service, self-sacrifice, and humility. The Spirit does not speak what you would naturally think. With this, with the Holy Spirit speaking to us, if we're people who are led by the Spirit, I, I love this verse in Colossians 3, and it's something my wife and I have lived by. It says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, or be the umpire of your hearts. Is another translation. When the Holy Spirit speaks, there's peace on it. There's peace about it. That doesn't mean everything's good and easy. Peace is not an external situation. It's an internal knowledge. It's an internal understanding. So we can look and say, is God's Spirit on this? Because I have peace about it. Even though I don't know how it's going to work, I'm going to lose some money. I'm going to lose friends, but yet God's saying this is something I need to be able to say, Holy Spirit, are you speaking through this? Does it line up with Scripture? Is there a peace in my heart about it? How do I respond? The Holy Spirit has been poured out, and some of us are living in this place of still waiting for Him to show up. We have to be a church that expects the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and pour out of us. We can't keep waiting for him to be poured out. He's already been poured out. That promise has been fulfilled. Like I said, we live in between these two promises. Jesus promised the pouring of his Holy Spirit, and it's happened already. That's already happened. And we have to be motivated out of that. We can't be out of the ambitious self or flesh. We have to be propelled by the life-giving, speaking Holy Spirit in us. Jesus says, it's better that I go so that he can come. He wanted us to be empowered and listening, not weak and waiting. When I was in South Africa my first time, um, right out of high school, we went and we, we had, um, it was me and a, another friend, a couple friends, and we met up with one of the locals there, um, Pierre. And Pierre would pick us up in his beat old Volkswagen bus <laughs> And we'd get in, and every morning when we were driving to our next destination, our next location for outreach, whether it was going to orphanages, hospitals, prisons, or villages, whatever, he would say to to us, he'd ask us one question every morning, and it stuck with me. What is God saying? 
he'd say, Jesse, what is God saying? And as 18, I was like, uh, <laughs> hello? <laughs> like, I, didn't, I was like, what do you mean, what is God saying? And he's like, no, what is God saying to you specifically about today? And if, the first day, I'm like, I don't know. And then the next morning, I was in my, my devotion time, and I was like, God, what are you speaking to me? And he would stir something unique for me in my heart, like about that day. And so then that day, I'd get in the, the van, and he'd say, Jesse, what is God saying? And I'd have an answer. I was able my second day to communicate an answer. The third day of, of my trip, I remember praying, and I was in my devotion time, and God led me to this verse in Proverbs that says, the answer to the Preparation is for the heart of man, but the answer to the tongue is from the Lord. And I'm like, what is this about? What, what are you saying here? And I knew God's saying it's your job to study scriptures, to pray, to seek me. But I'm the one who gives you every answer. I'm the one that declares the gospel through you. So I, I prayed that. And then all of a sudden my, my leader, Pierre and Dan, my friend Dan, they dropped us off in a town square and said, go out and preach the gospel. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I don't know these people. And... So we get out, and I just began to repeat that verse in my heart that whole, that whole morning. And I remember walking to this guy and saying, hey, um, is there anything I can pray with you about? And so we began to have a conversation about his ancestry worship. And, and he began to try to argue with me. It was, how is Jesus better than my ancestors? And all of a sudden, for about a half hour, I was given the best answers ever but it wasn't me. I don't even remember what I said. I literally don't remember what I said, but I was given this guy answers, and he was able to say, you know what? I think this Jesus is real. I think, I, I want to pursue this Jesus. So I gave him a Bible. He didn't make a decision at that moment, but I gave him a Bible, and he said, you know, I'm going to pray about this. I'm really, I think you've answered my questions, and I left that conversation, and I had kids from my youth group, and this girl that I knew in school, and she said, who was that Jesse who just spoke to them? They both said that. Who was that? When we listen to the Holy Spirit, he gives us what we need through that day. It was literally just me saying, God, what are you speaking? And like my heart just, that, that verse became alive in my heart. And it gave me what I needed through the day. I realized I can't answer this guy's questions about ancestry worship because I don't know ancestry worship. But God does. And he would give me the answers. I want to be a person that's led by the Spirit. That every day I wake up, I say, God, what are you saying today? What, what are you speaking to me? Because I don't know what your background is, but I want to tell you, God still speaks. God still, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of his word, he still speaks to me. He wants to still speak for you, to you. Are you able to hear it? Are you listening for it? The third thing, the third option that I feel like we have, and I've already alluded to it, is that we can be spirit-led disciples. We have to be people who are moved by the Spirit. It was promised to us. He said it's better for us than his presence. Jared's talked about this multiple times here. That's a difficult concept to grasp. If if I told you, hey, you have a choice. Choice number one, you can have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Choice number two, you can have Jesus right in front of you. Most of us would probably say, give me Jesus. Because then I can see him. But Jesus says it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit inside of us than for his presence to be in front of us. Because he wants us to have power for God living in us. The Holy Spirit is God himself living in us. 
not beside us, not around us, but in us. We need to be lovers of God, Theophilus. We need to be lovers of God who aren't, we don't move when the Spirit's not moving, but when he is, we're on mission. When he's speaking, we're going after him. If you have the Holy Spirit, make sure you're listening to him. He promised and he fulfilled that promise of the Holy Spirit. And he will pr- fulfill the promise of his return to the earth. I said it begins and it ends with a promise. He promised the Holy Spirit, and he also says, the angel, the angel said, he will come again the same way that he saw him go. I want to look at that verse here. And this, I'm, I'm wrapping up my message here. Acts chapter 1. Right after he says, better for, uh, not for them to know the times or the seasons, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he's come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing in the heaven, and as he went, behold, two men stood in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand staring to heaven? To me, for the longest time, this verse confused me. Because I'm, I, I'm a person who puts myself in this situation. If I'm a disciple, okay, and I've seen the resurrection, or I've seen the, the resurrected Christ, and all of a sudden Jesus is talking, he's like, hey, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And all of a sudden Jesus is like floating, like David Blaine, just going up in the, in the space. I would probably be staring, right? I would be like, where did he go? How did this happen? And I'd be looking for clouds. I'd be waiting for them to fall back down. I'd be wondering, where's gravity? Even though the gravity wasn't really a thing then, kind of. Anyway. Right? You'd all be staring, right? You'd be like, Jesus? <laughs> did you guys see that? He was here a second ago. <laughs> look, go look behind that rock over there. Did, did, I mi- did I miss something? And all of a sudden, angels show up. Some people think it was Enoch and Elijah. Some say Moses and Elijah. Some just say angels. It doesn't matter. They came from heaven in white robes, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stare? Jesus is coming again one day. The same way you saw him go. This passage, we can miss a little bit of things because of historical context. In Rome, when a Roman emperor would die, they would always appoint somebody (laughs) There would be somebody who would say, hey, when he died, I saw his soul ascend to the clouds. Why? So that they would call that emperor a god. He would no longer be a man. But because they, somebody saw his soul ascend to the, cl- to the clouds, they would call him a god. And then they could say that his son was a son of God. And then he had the right to rule over us. So this was very common to the readers of Acts when, when they're reading this, that the disciples and all around saw the body, the physical body of Christ go up into the clouds. They would see at this moment that even though Rome and their emperors were trying to make this sole imaginary thing of a, all of a sudden the emperor is becoming God and his son is a son of God, they would see Jesus and his physical self, he is ascended to be God. He is no longer man. He, he was God among us and the Son of God here on the earth, and his body was resurrected. His body 
ascended. He was God. This is a paradox here where he's saying your way of thinking, your way of looking at God's doesn't even compare to who I am, to the Christ. That he is in the body, in the soul, and all of who he is, is God and ascended to heaven. There was a recognition to the reader that this was the real deity among them. This was the real God here on the earth. Not some Roman emperor who was trying to rule, but one who went in heaven in a physical form. And the angel said, the same physical deity you saw go up is coming back down. It's not some soul thing that one guy said, yeah, I saw his soul go to heaven. It's they all witnessed his body go up and they're promised that it will return to rule and reign. When they're standing there, they see Jesus for who he is. That he is really God among them. That he will come again and rule and reign. It's reality to them. And so they're staring. They're witnessing this. And the angels ask, why do you stare? The reason I think the angels are asking them this question is because we do not respond to seeing their true glorified Christ. We don't respond to seeing God by standing still in awe. We respond through three different things. One, what do you see the disciples do? We'll talk about this over the next few weeks. When they, when they leave this moment, when they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, what do they do? Men and women, all of the followers, they're praying and worshiping him. They don't sit still and stare and wait. They pray and they worship. I feel like so many of us look at the scriptures and we see God. We, we've, we've, we know that he's real, but we stand around and wait for him to do something to show up and change my life, to, to do something for me. When the truth is we are called, when we see who he is, we have to be propelled to worship and pray and give thanks. That's what we just see the disciples do after this moment. And then, because the Holy Spirit came, they live on mission. This morning I ask us, can we hear the Holy Spirit? Do we feel him living inside of us? Do we, do we recognize him at work? Are we on mission? Are we praying and are we worshiping him for who he is? Or are we standing around and waiting? Do we stare? I don't, I don't know what, what it means for you to be on mission. I don't know what your mission is. I can give you the, the general idea to go into Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria and to all the earth and make disciples. What does that look like for you? What are the, what are the dreams, what are the, the stirring in your heart that the Holy Spirit's telling you to do? Are you staring and waiting for God to do it for you or are you doing it? I have to ask myself that every, every morning. And there are mornings where I don't do it. Believe me. And there are mornings where I feel like I, I'm, I'm listening to the word, to the, to the will of the Holy Spirit in me. That's the challenge that we have this morning. That's the challenge that we have to look at in the book of Acts. This whole book was written to not believers just then, but to us today. And I have to say, am I standing and staring and waiting? Or am I on mission and worshiping and praying? You and I, can, we get to join together and do this. We don't have to be on mission alone. That's a really good thing. It wasn't one disciple and one witness on mission by himself. We're on mission together.